This podcast is brought to you by the new Blessings of the Faith series from PNR Publishing, available September 22nd. Visit prpbooks.com and hear more at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. You are listening to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt. I'm the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I'm joined, as always, by Carl Truman, who is professor at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. He is also a man about town at this point. Um, Carl, you're you're showing up in the Wall Street Journal. Um, you're 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 a man of influence in the halls of power in Washington, D.C., now a fellow of the Ethics and Public Policy. I mean, I mean, your home is probably bugged right now by communists and and leftists in the United States. Could be an FBI file on me. Who knows? There may be an FBI um, file on yeah. you. You um, I mean, you're so influential that now you've been canceled by by YouTube. I mean, you're truly a threat to this nation. I am a clear and present danger. I'm yeah. a clear and present danger to the United States. Right. And, uh, I mean, Carl, long ago, when you and I first began this podcast, we would make jokes about, about broadcasting from, a, from an underground bunker. But that, that day may be upon us now. It's coming close. Yeah, I am stockpiling uh, weapons and cans of baked beans in, Good my, for you. in my basement. And, Good uh, for you. Yes. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, Carmen LeBerge interviewed me this morning and she she introduced me as he's always in trouble somewhere. Which made me laugh. <laughs> it does kind of seem that way, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, if you if, if you if you moved denominations, if you changed your denominational loyalty to the PCA, then you'd have another group of people that would hate you as well. Oh, so, I think they already do hate me. Well, actually, they do, but, but, but I'm not. But you'd too be much hated like a family member. Yeah, you'd be hated <laughs> like a family true. member, which is a, which yeah. is a pretty deep-seated hatred. So, yeah. I, I, I'm finding the whole progressive rhetoric about we need to listen to and talk to other people a bit thin. Um, you know, this summer <laughs> I've spoken for the Roman Catholics. I've spoken for the Latter-day Saints. Yeah. Uh, I do a whole lot of speaking to all kinds of very different people. Yeah. The progressives that, that seem to trash me only ever seem to speak to themselves. And I'm thinking, <laughs> so how come I'm the narrow-minded bigot when I'm actually talking to people I disagree with? It's some pretty fundamental stuff. One uh, of these progressives days. Progressives only seem to recommend talking to themselves. Exactly. And, and one of these days we're going to need a full report of your time with the mormons that um, was I, it was a very interesting they they are very delightful people i have to yeah, say my, yeah. my wife and i were made very welcome and and struck up a couple of what i think will become long-term friendships there yeah, um, yeah. but very different theologically yeah <laughs> just but, a little but rock solid on on key public issues right which is what right. i was speaking on of course yeah um, yeah so yeah it, uh, it was an interesting time interesting mm. time very yeah. much well, uh, Carl, today I want to kind of get below the surface of, of something that you and I have talked about quite a bit over the years, 
And it's the subject of, of the, the, the project of cultural transformation, you know, um, uh, the, 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 the city church, the church that is going to uh, transform uh, the, 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 the culture to make it more, right. I suppose, Christian. And we've talked about, yeah. you know, various sites that, that feature, you know, Christian cupcake bakers and, and Christian theater directors and, and these kinds of things. Well, I want to read for you just, just a portion of an article that was um, posted in the Washington Free Beacon. It's under the title, Government-Funded Researchers Sought Aborted Minorities for organ harvesting. Now, where I'm going with this will hopefully become clear in just a moment, but but listen to just a portion of this article. Quote, the federal government gave at least $2.7 million in taxpayer money to researchers who sought out minority babies who had been aborted in order to harvest their organs, according to internal documents released Tuesday. The University of Pittsburgh targeted minorities in its request for infant organs, including those taken from full-term babies, to create a, quote, pipeline for fetal research. Researchers said they needed 50% of the donated fetuses to be minorities and specified that 25% must come from black women. The Pittsburgh metropolitan area is 85% white and 8% black. Researchers stressed the importance of maintaining organ blood flow in the request, which watchdogs say could violate federal law by asking doctors to illegally preserve organs during labor inducing abortions. One more one more paragraph here. The National Institutes of Health, okay, the NIH um, uh, headed uh, by by Dr. Francis Collins. The National Institutes of Health has overseen experiments on fetal organs at the University of Pittsburgh since 2015 in what the school claimed to be a, quote, tissue hub. Aborted babies used in this research ranged from six to 42 weeks of gestation, according to government documents. The grant requests from the university to the government agency redacts key information, including how many fetuses were obtained and who provided them. Its language, however, raises troubling questions. Now, Carl, first of all, um, just in, in, in light of the obvious horror of the content of these documents that have been released, and, and we've, this was exposed several years ago, for instance, Planned Parenthood dealing in aborted uh, fetal organs. And now we see that a government agency was helping uh, in this project, partner, partnering with the University of Pittsburgh. Um, I can go to other statistics. I can go to New York and show the abortion rate in New York, particularly among minority communities. We can go um, to the government's own uh, figures and show that more African-American babies are aborted than are brought to term in the city of New York. Now, I bring these things up, Carl. To ask the question, what happened to cultural renewal? Yeah. What happened to the project of the city church to renew the culture? And and I'm I'm wanting to know, okay, so what did this mean to begin with? What did cultural renewal mean to begin with? Did it really just mean having more Christians in um, you know, serving as as bakers in high dollar pastry shops in Manhattan? Is that what it was about? Was it about having more um, theater directors on Broadway? Is that what it, what, what it was about? Or was it actually about seeing a culture become less 
pagan yeah. in its yeah. practices. Because it seems to me, Carl, every time people like you and I talk about abortion or talk about the sexual revolution, we're accused of being cultural warriors and sneered at yeah. by the very same people who have had the most to say about cultural renewal yeah. over the last 10 years. So what gives? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, my comment on, on what you've just read is, uh, first, well, first of all, the Christian critical race theorists out there who are mm. always pontificating about institutional racism. Yeah. Even I'm prepared to agree. That's institutional racism, right? As you've just described. So let's hope that the Christian, the critical race theorist in the Christian world, that's going to be the sole topic of conversation for the next six months. Yes. Let's see them protesting and screaming and shouting about that the same yeah. way they've screamed and shouted about other things. That would be my first. My blood boils when you read that. Yeah. Secondly, I would say, you know, comparisons with Nazism are very cheap these days. Yes. But as you read that to me and you read that clinical language describing mm. what's being done to these, uh, these babies in the womb, uh, it reminded me of nothing other than some of the reports one can read of medical experiments that, 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 cold clinical language of the clinicians who are engaging in horrific medical experiments yes. during the Nazi regime. Uh, as I say, Nazi comparisons, very, mm -hmm. very cheap. But in this case, I think they might, apt. Be, might, be, might be apt. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, I think the, the, the transformation thing, it's often presented as, you know, we need to be a faithful presence within society. And, and I, I certainly agree with the idea that Christians be a faithful presence in society. The problem, I think, with the cultural transformation movement, uh, or one of the many problems with the cultural transformation movement, is it has tended to focus on the presence at the expense of the faithful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There is a there is such a thing as being a Christian presence in society that isn't actually that faithful. <laughs> And that's when, hey, you're a Christian on a Sunday, you read your Bible each day, you pray, you're, you're a good Christian person in your own family, but you never speak up about this kind of stuff, not even in your own neighborhood. Uh, and I would say that part of our problem is we've mistaken presence for faithfulness. Yeah. And secondly, I mean, I've been saying this for years. If you're going to culturally transform society, give us, give us one Orthodox Protestant Supreme Court justice. Yeah. The, the, the whole Protestant cultural transformation movement has delivered virtually nothing right. anywhere. I mean, it's staggering. And yes, you can build huge churches in New York if you never mention the kind of stuff that offends New York people. Right. Uh, my wife was telling me just the other day about a, a girl who's been attending a church in New York this summer and uh, was talking to somebody in that church who doesn't think abortion's wrong. Now, yeah. we, we have to be careful here because, you know, you I've been a pastor, you're a pastor, Todd, I don't, and I'm a teacher now. Mm -hmm. I don't want the views of everybody I've taught or preached to being blamed upon me. Right, right. <laughs> Most definitely I don't want yes. that. But if you never teach on this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. then what's going to happen is that those who are teaching on this kind of stuff, the media, commercials, yeah. sitcoms, soap operas, chat show, talk shows, mm -hmm. uh, 
they are going to teach on this stuff. And that void, that vacuum you leave in the, in the minds of your congregants is going to be filled somewhere. They're going to get their opinions about abortion and medical research from somebody. Yeah. And if you're not giving them a Christian way of thinking about these things, then they're going to be listening to other voices. So nobody will believe me when I say this, but in my line of work, I actually don't like saying I told you so, <laughs> because I have such a bleak view of things. It's rather grim when I say it. But frankly, to any cultural transformationists out there, the Truman Challenge remains. Show me one thing that's been truly transformed by all of this stuff beyond yeah. individual lives. We all believe in the transformation of individual lives by conversion. Right. Show me how the culture's been transformed. Right. And secondly, tell, show me why I shouldn't be say, I told you so yeah. once again. Right. Yeah. When it comes to the transformation of individual lives, that's what the, the, the church has been saying for 2000 years. I mean, you know, the, a good, faithful, um, reformed or evangelical church is going to be committed yeah. to seeing the transformation yeah. of lives. And that's the very thing that we were criticized for by the cultural transformationists. We, we you know, our vision was too small. Our understanding yeah. of, of evangelism, you know, where, you know, Anthony Bradley has dismissed so many churches today and, and criticize them for being quote, great commission uh, churches, uh, because that's too small of a, of a vision for the church, you know, to win you know, the loss of Christ. Without mentioning names, which I, I just had, did. I once had dinner with somebody in New York city who teaches at a college in New York city. Oh. And I said, how do you survive here given the position uh, on abortion? And he made a zip motion across his mouth. Yeah. In other words, we keep quiet about it. Which raises a question of how can you be a cultural transformationist right. yeah. when you keep quiet about these things? At least I'm up front as a sort of broadly kind of two kingdomsy kind of guy right. to say that Christians shouldn't be screaming and shouting about every political issue out mm -hmm. there. But when you're a cultural transformationist, you say, I'm yeah. a cultural transformationist, but I'm never going to actually say anything that really offends the culture I live in. <laughs> You're, you're talking nonsense. Yeah, you're talking and, nonsense. And and again, what's what's interesting about some of these well-known cultural transformationist city churches is that the pastors of these churches, when it comes to the sins that their city hates, those pastors sound like old-fashioned fundamentalist fire and brimstone preachers. They will condemn those sins to hell on a fast train and man, they're clear. They are crystal clear in condemning the sins that the culture disapproves of. But when it comes to the sins that their culture loves, they are either entirely silent or they are so quote nuanced that you're not exactly sure what they just said. Right. And I would challenge those. I know PCA churches in the deep South where racism is condemned from the pulpit. Now, that's not always popular to do still to this day in certain parts of the Deep South, but I know faithful PCA ministers who have been very clear in their condemnation of, of racism in their Southern pulpit, and yet I can take you to New York and point you to specific churches within our denomination that make a practice of not mentioning abortion where the majority of African-American babies that are conceived are killed in their mother's womb rather than brought to term. That captures not only violence, but as you said earlier, Carl, racism, justice, issues that these brothers say that they 
the say that animate them, they are silent on, on, on one of the chief moral catastrophes of our day. So, so it, it seems to me what cultural transformationism has come to mean is we're here and they kind of like that we're here. They don't hate that we're here and they're never, ever going to put ugly graffiti on our building. Ta-da, cultural transformation. I don't know what that means, but if your church, if there's no one ever, if there's no, if no one has ever been at least tempted to graffiti your building, chances are you're present, but not very faithful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we should add here, of course, you know, there are culture warriors out there Yes, who are always looking for a fight. Yes. They've never seen a hill that they don't want to die on. They've never seen a railing they don't want to chain themselves to. And they often <laughs> speak in the most offensive and aggressive way. That is true. Uh, but when the text demands you speaking about the sanctity of life, yeah, I'm, I'm, we don't want people preaching about abortion every Sunday. Nope. But you can't get through the whole of the Bible without colliding re- fairly regularly with texts that are going to require you to speak about speak about racism, right. speak about abortion, speak yeah. about cultural issues. Uh, so if you're a faithful pastor, you're going to have to speak about these things. It doesn't make you a cultural warrior. Yeah. If you know uh, the, the dynamic of your pastorate is that you want to teach your people the whole counsel of God, then you're going to speak on these issues. Uh, But that doesn't mean you're motivated by hate. It doesn't mean that the culture war is the only thing that drives you or or the Mm -hmm. thing that drives you at all. It simply means that you're a faithful pastor, a faithful preacher of God's word. And I think that that, yes, the the culture warrior trope Mm -hmm. has become so debased and applied so broadly. It's just a quick Twitter way of ruling somebody's opinion out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think we need to to recapture something of the the practical, ethical teaching of of Christianity. Yeah. It seems to me the cultural the culture warrior trope. And and again, there are, as you said, there are ways to do this that are foolish and in some cases even sinful. There are ways to do this that are just wrong and 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 foolish. There there are ways to address sin that actually can be counterproductive to the people, to the sinners we're trying to reach. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, again, we're not the ones that said the church is here to transform the culture. And if you're going to say the church is here to transform the culture and you're not going to address, and my, and, and my assumption is that if you're a Christian saying that the church is to transform the culture, that means that the culture is going to look more Christian. That's my assumption, not less Christian, but more Christian. And, and if and if you're saying that's what the church is here to do, but you're not going to address the most notorious um, anti-God, Christ-offending sins in the culture, then you're failing at the project you yourself have been have been advancing and calling us to join you in. Um, uh, as you said, just pre- I've never preached a series focused on a particular sin. I just preach the passage and I have plenty of opportunities to bring up sins that we tend to like or tend to ignore or tend to champion. And God gives you that in, in, in his word. But I can't imagine, for instance, um, pastoring a Christian church in certain parts of the deep South and never mentioning with real clarity 
um, the sin of racism. Just like I cannot imagine pastoring a church in Manhattan and not addressing the sexual revolution, not addressing abortion, not addressing the racism of the abortion industry. Um, whatever else that is, that's not transforming the culture. Yeah. That's yeah. being a chaplain to the culture. Yeah. And that's where I think we need to be wary of the, the sort of the zero sum game that's often played. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, if you're opposing abortion, you're not opposing racism. Right. Uh, no, all sides in this need to realize that the whole council of God needs to set our agenda on, mm-hmm. on what we speak to. Secondly, I would add that I understand, particularly for a rising generation of younger Christians, that the term culture war and culture warrior does have very unfortunate connotations. Yeah. It does tend to default to implications of, you know, dying on every hill, chaining yourself to every railing. Jerry Falwell Jr. Yeah. Gosh, <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, my. There was a transformed culture, if ever there was one. Um, I think that the the model I've, I use in class at Grove Grove City College, I use, try to use the language of cultural protest, mm. that the church is not engaged in culture war. I mean, the Bible uses martial language of warfare. It's not inappropriate. Sure. But I think today, a more persuasive way of talking about these things is to, 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 to get the kids to think about the church as a, a means of cultural protest. And how That's do good. you protest? Well, you protest by yourself being an alternative culture, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that when people join the church, these are people who walk to the beat of a different drum. These are people who care for the poor. These are people who look after each other. These are people who are a true community. And I think that the the language of cultural warfare is probably not the most helpful, Yeah, but the language of cultural protest can still operate yeah. very usefully. But of course, that cultural protest does spill over into our public lives as sure, well. We're, sure. we're not simply mm-hmm. community in a church on a Sunday. Yeah. The way we, we think Christianly has to shape the way we operate in the, in the public sphere in which we find yeah. ourselves. And that's where, as I say, the, the faithful presence, I think the terminology is good terminology because yes, that's I what agree. Christians are called to be. The problem in the way it's played out has been, you know, as long as we're present, you know, you know, we can work on getting faithful yeah. at some yeah. point. Yeah. And so you have the situation where you have Francis Collins, and no doubt that Francis Collins is personally a very pious yeah. Christian man, very sincere. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I don't think of Francis Collins as an evil person in any way, shape, or form, but you find that he's presided over an organization that's been engaged in ghastly, reprehensible, vile behavior. Well, where does his faithfulness kick in at this point? And I would say, you know, he does, I don't suppose he listens to mortification to spin, but it's not too late. It's not too late to be a faithful presence Mm. at this point. You could take a stand even now. Yeah. And, you know, and we were told, Carl, when he was appointed as the director of the National Institutes of Health, this was you know, banner news for the cultural transformationists uh, among our brothers, you know, yeah. ah, a, 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 an evangelical Christian, this is what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, evangelical Christians in the places of where they can make a real difference, where they can yeah. really, and what happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's deeply, deeply disturbing. I, I like the language of cultural protest. You know, even as you said that I had you know, I, I pictured uh, uh, early Roman Christians, you know, rescuing babies that had been cast yeah. away and abandoned. Yeah. 
Um, that's a cultural protest. That's saying yeah. we we make up a distinctively different culture where we yeah. rescue babies and we don't throw them into the river. It's interesting what you said reminded me of an old comment I remember from James Barr, the liberal mm -hmm. uh, biblical scholar, many, many yep. years ago, commenting on what was then being trumpeted as the, the sort of the conservative renaissance within biblical studies. And Barr made the comment to the effect that conservative evangelical biblical scholars are still only respected at the very points where they're not actually conservative and evangelical. And F.F. F. Bruce, I think, was a friend of James Barr, and, and Barr would make this point about Bruce. Yeah, he's taken seriously by the academy, but only at those points where he actually departs from his evangelical brothers and sisters. Now, that may have been an unfair caricature of Bruce. James Barr was not the most objective commentator, but it just came to mind when you were saying that, you know, Collins's arrival at this thing was heralded as a great moment. And yet, you know, when the history is written, will Collins's contribution have been bringing distinctive Christian take, or will his contribution have been muting his own Christian faith? in his public actions within, within the Institute? Interesting yeah. question. Yeah. Well, this is an interesting topic. Uh, I'm sure that many of you will be offended that once again, Todd and I have had that tone of, I told you so about it, but uh, well, we call it as we see it. If you visit our website, mortificationspin.org, you can enter for a chance to win Keith Stanglin's new book, Ethics Beyond Rules, which is about creating virtuous Christians. And I think the answer to our ills uh, is the creation of virtuous Christians who then go on to live virtuously in the public callings, which they have. While you're visiting our website, please uh, consider making a donation. We are a listener-supported podcast. There is an opportunity for you to donate to the Alliance while you're there. And in the meantime, all that remains is for me to thank you for joining us this week, and we look forward to being with you next week. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. I told you. September 22nd, discover the exciting new Blessings of the Faith series from PNR Publishing. Featuring Jason Halopoulos on covenantal baptism, David Strain on expository preaching, and Guy Richard on persistent prayer. Three of the most trusted and distinguished voices of the faith answer your questions about these important Reformed church practices in a way that every layperson will understand. The new Blessings of the Faith series will be available September 22nd from PNR Publishing, bringing you books that promote biblical understanding and godly living, as summarized in the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms. Visit prpbooks.com to learn more. prpbooks.com.